Alzheimer's is a disease, which is something that people don't always think about. It's actually in your brain for probably as long as 20 years before you start to see the symptoms, the memory loss, the executive function. This is not a normal part of aging. This is not something that just happens to people who are 90-something years of age. Women in their early 60s who are very vibrant, who are working, are twice as likely to get Alzheimer's as breast cancer. Women have been at the epicenter. They have the diagnosis of dementia more than men, and more than two-thirds of the caregivers for people with dementia and Alzheimer's are women. Alzheimer's disease is the number six killer in the United States, but in the top 10, the only killer with no disease-modifying drugs or cure. And we have 60 million baby boomers entering their Alzheimer's years. What we know for sure is unless we change the course, it is going to absolutely devastate the U.S. economy. So this is a national emergency. This is a national epidemic. Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason, and we're two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Julianne Moore, Maria Shriver, Kristen Stewart, Sandy Oltz, Lisa Genova, Dr. Maria Carrillo, Elizabeth Gelfin-Stearns. These are some of the amazing women behind Still Alice, a movie that gives us a rare window into the experience of living with Alzheimer's disease, a glimpse of the inside looking out. While most of us have heard of Alzheimer's disease and many of us have been personally or professionally affected by it, the film Still Alice has done much to heighten interest and awareness of the disease. Here with us today is Dr. Heather Snyder. Dr. Snyder is the Director of Medical and Scientific Operations for the Alzheimer's Association. Dr. Snyder, a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for being with us. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. So first, tell us about the Alzheimer's Association and how you got involved, please. Absolutely. The Alzheimer's Association is the largest voluntary health organization dedicated to Alzheimer's disease. So we have chapters all across the country that provide services and support to the more than 5 million individuals and their families that are living with this disease. But in addition to that, we also have a key part of our mission is uh, to advance Alzheimer's research. And that's part of the team that I'm on is uh, one of the scientists uh, on staff at the Alzheimer's Association. Very fascinating. As somebody, my mother um, had Alzheimer's, who, and she was a retired nurse. And very scary, the statistics about women and Alzheimer's. I really wasn't aware of that. So can you talk about the impact of the film on Alzheimer's awareness? I have to say it was a remarkable film. Absolutely, and and you're right. I think one of the things that we're becoming more aware of is that women are the epicenter of this disease. About two-thirds of of people that are living with this disease are women, but also from the care side, uh, the majority of of people providing care are women. And this movie, Still Alice, really is raising awareness in a way that we haven't really seen uh, before for Alzheimer's disease, and it's increasing the conversations that families are having, uh, that people are having all across the board, and in fact, just myself, after the Oscars the other night, for instance, and looking at my social media feed, I was amazed by people that are not affiliated with my professional life, the number of comments around Alzheimer's awareness and people coming out and talking about their loved one or their grandmother or their parent that's affected with this disease in their own personal experience. So it's really, I think, raising awareness in a way we haven't seen before, but also increasing that conversation. And we hope it continues to increase the conversations that are happening not just within families, but within communities, and that that translates also to an increase in conversation in Capitol Hill, for instance, and and raising and increasing the funds for uh, both research, but also for services for those that are affected. Yeah, that's great. It's a, it's a difficult thing to talk about, so it's good that there's starting to be a dialogue open up about it. Unlike Julianne Moore's character in the film, most cases are not early onset. Do you mind talking a little bit about the differences, please? 
Absolutely, and, and I think you raise a great point. As for so long, we talked about Alzheimer's disease as being something that was really just affecting people in, in their old age, and, and that's not, in fact, the case. Uh, we, we know that there's approximately 200,000 people in the United States that are living with what we call younger onset. So that's when an individual develops uh, the memory changes associated with Alzheimer's disease under the age of 65. And frankly, we don't really understand why these cases of Alzheimer's disease appear at such a young age. And it is, it is not the majority. It is, it is a small number of uh, or a small percentage of the overall people that are affected. And we know that in a small proportion of these people that have younger onset, they do have what we call familial Alzheimer's disease. So they have very rare genetic misspellings that are linked to developing Alzheimer's disease. So if they have this genetic misspelling, they will develop the disease, and it's at a much younger age of onset, 30s, 40s, and 50s. But that's a, a small proportion of people that have younger onset, and, and overall we just don't understand all the reasons why. And can you tell me then in the um, older when you, the older onset Alzheimer's, it, does that have a familial link as well? So we refer to that as, as late onset Alzheimer's disease. And there is a link in terms of that if you have a first-degree relative, so a parent or a sibling that had Alzheimer's, you, you are at an increased risk. Uh, but we don't really understand why, and it's more linked to to genes that are, are risk genes. So there are uh, probably the most well-studied or well-talked-about risk gene is called apolipoprotein E4, or ApoE4. Um, and if you get one copy from your mother and one copy from your father, so you have two copies, you have an increased risk, and even one copy is an increased risk. But there are people that are living with two copies of, of the ApoE4 or even one copy of ApoE4 that do not develop Alzheimer's, and, and we don't really understand why. So there is a link, but it's, it's, um, there's a, a lot of other things that are at play, and it's, it's probably more of a, a much more complex than, than just a direct link to a heredity. Are there any other factors that uh, we have found that lend more towards an Alzheimer's diagnosis? Anything in lifestyle that makes you more prone? Yeah, that's a really uh, a growing area of research that we're continuing to understand. And, and so we do know that for the majority of people with Alzheimer's disease, age seems to be the greatest risk factor. As, as um, individuals over the age of 65, approximately one in nine will develop the disease, and after the age of 85, approximately one in three. So we, we do know that there's a link to age. Uh, other things that we've seen links to are uh, cardiovascular health, for instance, that people with uh, heart disease or diabetes seem to be at an increased risk for developing Alzheimer's disease at a later life. We also see that, you know, and, and other cardiovascular factors, so overall lifestyle health related to cardiovascular disease also seems to be linked. There's some research looking at head injury, for instance. There was one study that was presented at the Alzheimer's Association's International Conference a couple years ago. There was a very large study in, in over 250,000 people, and it showed that if they had an incidence of head injury, that they were two and a half times more likely to develop Alzheimer's disease or related dementia in later life. So trying to understand what that linkage is is a, is a continuing uh, growing area of research as well. Yeah, it's amazing. And just some basic facts about Alzheimer's for our listeners. More than 5 million Americans are living with this disease, and every 67 seconds, someone in the United States develops the disease. It's the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. And the other thing I wanted to talk about, Dr. Snyder, um, you know, I know there are a couple of drugs that we give, and I haven't seen much efficacy. Is there efficacy in the, in the couple of drugs that are out there for Alzheimer's? So there are four drugs that are still in use uh, in the United States that have been approved for, uh, for use in people with Alzheimer's disease, but they're symptomatic. So they're really um, treating the symptoms of the individual so, um, and helping them maintain function uh, for a longer period of time. But there's no evidence that they're stopping or slowing the progression of the disease. And so to your point, absolutely, we need something that gets us 
be able to stop or slow the progression of the disease, and we're not there yet. And that's that's really where the that coming back to full circle to the beginning of our conversation uh, in in increasing awareness and hopefully increasing funding for research will get us to that point of having a therapy that will stop or slow the progression of the disease. And speaking of funding for this, uh, let's talk about some of the critical areas of research such as cause and risk factors, detection and diagnosis. Are are there any neuroprotective factors? Is there anything someone can do to protect themselves from this? Uh, And where is the research money really going right now? Great question, and, and there is a lot of work that's going on to understand what may be those types of lifestyle interventions that somebody could do to reduce their risk for later life Alzheimer's disease, and probably the four areas that are the most advanced in, in our understanding, or at least in continuing to be investigated, back to the cardiovascular factors, so thinking about diet and, and an overall heart-healthy diet, uh, staying mentally engaged, so continuing to use your mind, use uh, stay engaged and, and continuing to in things that are lifelong learning. Staying socially active, so continuing to engage in your community, whatever that might mean to you. And probably the strongest evidence we have is physical activity, so continuing to be active in your life and whatever that might mean to you. And what the one thing about physical activity, it seems that it, it doesn't matter when you start, if you've been physically active your whole life, if you started midlife, or even once you have memory changes. There, seem, there have been uh, several studies that have been published showing that it still seems to be beneficial. We don't have the recipe, though, of um, right. if you do these things, you're going to reduce your risk by X percent. But we are moving in that direction, and it's, it's critical to, to keep moving in that way. Well, as always, when we asked this question, I was hoping you were going to say booze and chocolate, but I guess not. <laughs> which, is, which is so sad. So um, let's talk a little bit about the impact the disease has on individuals, caregivers, and our society as a whole. As you said, so many millions are uh, baby boomers are hitting that critical 65 with the growing numbers uh, showing up for Alzheimer's. So what does that mean for all of us? So today, with the 5 million, there are an estimated over 5 million individuals in the United States living with Alzheimer's disease, and that translates to over 15 million people that are providing care uh, for somebody with Alzheimer's disease. And as we continue, if, if we don't get that therapy, whether it's a lifestyle or a medication to stop or, stop or slow the progression, by mid-century, that's going to more than triple. So you're talking uh, nearly 15 million people living with Alzheimer's disease and nearly 45 million Americans that are providing care. So we're going to continue to see this grow. And, and the, for caregivers, it is a huge responsibility. It is a huge amount of energy and stress that, that can be uh, put on the caregiver during that process uh, of providing care for their loved one. I see, I've seen this in my own family and in watching my mother-in-law provide care for her mother-in-law who has Alzheimer's disease and just the, the change in the dynamic and, and the amount of stress and pressure that it has provided on her. But I also see that, and we, we know this from research as well, that families that access community resources, uh, organizations like the Alzheimer's Association that have support groups, online uh, support groups and, and, and conversations that um, help caregivers not feel alone in, in this uh, journey. Yeah, There's it. better outcomes overall, both for the individual that's living with Alzheimer's disease, but also for the, the caregiver and for the family unit as a whole. Why more women than men? I'm curious. I know women tend to live longer. Is that the only link? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's really not something that we fully understand. I think that that is one of those questions that we're trying to understand. It's been thought for a long time that it was because women live longer, but if you also look at, for instance, at the cardiovascular factors, women also tend to have a um, higher incidence of of cardiovascular disease and diabetes. So trying to understand what those linkages are are so important for understanding what may be the underlying biology of why uh, uh, women have more prevalence of Alzheimer's disease is higher in women. 
And I recently heard that, um, you know, they were finding on autopsy people with Alzheimer's plaque uh, in their brains. But then I recently read that that plaque was not associated with the disease in that the areas of plaque in the brain did not correlate with dysfunction in the body. Is that true? What we know is that there are about, and actually what we can do now with technology is you can actually take a picture of the brain and see the amyloid, the beta amyloid plaques. Uh, in the in the brains of, of living human beings. And we know that about 30% of people, uh, when you take this picture, may have the plaques in their brains but not yet have the memory changes associated with Alzheimer's disease. One of the ideas in the field is that, that it could be that, that they're, more, they're at an increased risk for developing the memory changes and that they're, on the, that they're on a continuum. And in fact, four years ago, the Alzheimer's Association worked with the National Institute on Aging to develop revised guidelines uh, for diagnosing Alzheimer's disease. And it set out the idea that research supports that Alzheimer's disease is a continuum, very much like how we talk about heart disease, and that there's biological changes that are happening at a much earlier time point, 10 or 15 and maybe 20 years before someone has the memory changes associated with the disease. And we could identify those individuals, and when we have a therapy, intervene at that time point to see if we're able to stop or slow the the disease. So it's that same type of idea. If you take a picture and you see uh, the amyloid plaques, does that mean that they're somewhere on that continuum? And if we have a therapy, can we intervene at that time point to stop or slow the progression of the disease? And in fact, there is a clinical trial, a prevention trial, uh, that is doing just that. It's looking to identify individuals that have the amyloid in their brains and looking to test a certain, um, a, a certain drug to see if they intervene at an earlier time point. Are they able to stop or slow the progression of the disease? That's, it's an exciting time in the field right yeah, now. It we're, we're able like to talk about time, possible yeah. prevention. Well, we really appreciate it. We're wanting to, is there anything else that you'd like to say to wrap up before we let you go? I think the only thing I would add is, uh, you know, this is something, this is a disease that is affecting so many people all across the country. And we do know that accessing resources is, is so helpful for both the individual and the family. And a wealth of resources can, um, can be found on our website at ALZ.org. It's also a place to have your voice heard as, as we continue to change the conversation, uh, be an advocate, and, and continue to raise awareness both in your community but also on Capitol Hill. Thanks so much for your time in this important fight, Dr. Snyder. It's uh, very important that we have as many people as possible fighting this disease because it really is growing in numbers and it is scary. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for raising awareness. Absolutely. So again, you can visit ALZ.org. We've been talking with Dr. Heather Snyder, Director of Medical and Scientific Operations for the Alzheimer's Association. 